Hi, my name is Skipper Chung Warson. I'm a design director in San Francisco. Thanks for listening to How This Works. This is a show where I invite people on to talk about a topic that they know a lot about. Today, I have Kat Hantas and Nicole Emanuel with me. And we're going to talk about tequila, making tequila, infusing tequila, and running a business. Thanks for making the time and space to be here, Nicole and Kat. Thanks for having it's us. It's great to be here, Skipper. So Kat and Nicole, let's start with you and let's start with pronouns specifically. My pronouns are he and him. How would you like to be referred? I would like to be referred as she and her. And this is Kat and, and she and her as well. Great. So who are you both? Can you tell us a few things about you? Yeah. So you know what I think we'll do is why don't I always start if it's a question to both of us? I'm the older sister, so I can jump in and then Nicole, you can <laughs> jump in. Deal. So I'm Kat and I am the older sister of the sister duo. Sure. And, you know, we moved here from Greece as children. We are the, the children of immigrants. And I think that plays a big part in, in our story for sure. And in the trajectory okay. of our careers. Okay. I, you know, I went to UCLA. I was pre-med. I ended up ditching that and got into film and television and had a whole 15-year run in film and television. Okay. Uh, and then I took some time off. I had two beautiful children that I adore. And then one day decided I needed to start a tequila company. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which totally tracks, right? Like that whole path. Absolutely does. Totally tracks. There are no, there are no, there are no gaps to fill in on that. None. I think everyone's clear. <laughs> Everyone. Exactly. So we'll be diving in deeper into that. But Nicole, can you tell me a little bit about you? Yes. Hi, I'm Nicole. I actually started a more traditional route than my beloved sister here. Um, I started at Deloitte & Touche, also went to UCLA, you know, followed my sister's footsteps. Actually, in every geography or geographical location she moved to, when she was in LA, I was in LA. When she moved to New York, I moved to New York. When she moved to okay. San Francisco, I moved... So I guess I'm her little duckling as well. Um, <laughs> we're very close. So did the UCLA thing, accounting, finance background, did the Deloitte big firm, then spent most of my career in tech and media. And I was the CFO of Refinery29. I was the CFO of Brent & Co. And I'm the CFO of AngelList. And during all of this, I got the luxury of seeing what works and what doesn't work in the startup ecosystem. And mm. when my sister came with this idea, as she has come with many ideas, which I've all said, those are not interesting to me. But then <laughs> when she came with this idea, that was fully organic, made sense for her, saw that it was happening to many of our girlfriends, as mm. well as just, you know, no one speaking to her in the tequila aisle or for that matter and spirits in general, I thought this is a great idea and I would love to come on board with you, sister. And so that was uh, just shy of uh, three years ago that we decided to do this and two years ago that we have been in market. Great. So just to wrap up our introductions, can you tell me one thing about the both of you that someone may not guess on the surface, something you feel comfortable sharing? Yes, I'll start. I'll jump in. This is Kat. So Nicole was actually a double major in college at UCLA, and she graduated okay. like magna cum laude or summa cum laude. Summa cum laude. All of that tracks, <laughs> you can see it right on the surface. What you don't know about her, though, is that her second major was as a world arts and culture major, and she is an incredible dancer, and she was a go-go dancer all through college, and she was the one who actually got me into all the clubs and bars. Nice. I, I like this role reversal. I like it. Um, so, Nicole, do you have something about Kat? For having zero finance and business background, I mean, 0.001%, her ability to be statistically right at about a 98% is quite annoying, right? I do all the math. I do all the modeling. I like figure it all out. She's like, it's probably going to be like a hundred cases or something. I'm like, no, it isn't. And then I spend two hours triangulating attributes of certain accounts and it'll be like 99.3 cases. Oh, and wow. she's like, so we said a hundred, right? And I'm like, damn you. <laughs> That's a really good skill. I see things. <laughs> I'm an observer. I am absolutely an observer of life. I don't, I'm actually, I will admit I am not an avid reader. 
I, okay. I spend more of my, my time just sort of observing. I'm an auditory learner. So reading was always challenging for me. So I spent much more time looking outward into my environment. And so in that way, I, I could sort of see trends and, you know, things that maybe it was able to connect dots in, in a very different way. That's fair. Oh, and, and one other thing to add yeah. that was, I mean, people know this now about her, but we didn't know even starting this company together, her palette is beyond point. I mean, mm. if you even try to add any ounce of any kind of flavoring or any kind of anything in there, she can depict that in one second. It's quite impressive. Whereas me, you you put a whole. She's like the princess in the pea with with flavors <laughs> and fragrance. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Super tasters nice. are interesting, and women tend to be. I forget the exact number. I think it might be thirty five percent more. So, uh, super tasters are found in in the female demographic than in the male. It's like we 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 outpaced by thirty five percent. It was or some yeah. some number like that. So, it was interesting. I did not know this about myself. <laughs> when I was making movies. <laughs> sure. So I want to get into the subject at hand. I gave some of it away in our intro, but I would love to hear you all say it. What are the things that we're going to talk about today as it pertains to your business and your lives? So we're here today to talk about how to build and create a tequila empire, more specifically an all-natural, real fruit-infused tequila empire. Great. Talk to us about the name. So the name is 21 Seeds. 21 Seeds is actually two sisters and one girlfriend. So Nicole and I are obviously the two sisters. And then our third founder is Sarika, also a Bay Area native, and she's the friend. So it's two sisters, one girlfriend, and then Seeds, everything that goes into 21 Seeds, all natural infused tequilas, is all natural and grows from a seed. Okay. So that's how we came up with the name. That makes sense. We very specifically didn't want to use a Spanish name, like it's funny because people were like, why don't, why didn't you just name it Casamigas? Like mm-hmm. AS, right? Mm-hmm. And, right. Uh, you know, a play on Casamigos, yeah. Right, Casamigos. exactly, exactly. Or, you know, if you look in the tequila aisle, it's like Clase, Casa, Dos, you know, all of these names. Mm-hmm. And we were creating a product that was so different than traditional tequila. We're not from, you know, Nicole and I are from Greece. Sarika is uh, Indian descent, okay. but was born in the US. And we wanted there to be sort of this distinction and to honor what tequila was. And we didn't want to, you know, take on a Spanish Mexican name when, you know, we were creating a product that was a little bit different. It was a take on that. Yeah. And that's great not to go down the path of appropriation. Yeah. 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 But we were very conscious of it. And we have an incredible distillery in Mexico that makes our tequila for us. And that's a very cool part of our story in that. The distillery that we partnered with in Mexico is actually owned by a woman, mm. and there are very few of them. When we went down there in 2018 and started meeting with distilleries, I think there were three okay. that were owned by women. Okay. Um, it is a very, very male-dominated industry. And the really cool part of this distillery owned by a woman named Celia, she also is very much about trying to bring more women into the tequila industry. So she staffs, mm. the predominantly staffed by women, mm-hmm. and she... In order to do that, she has to adjust their hours so that the hours coincide with the hours that their children are in school because they cannot afford extra childcare outside the home. So they work while the kids are in school and then they're able to pick up their kids after school. So it was a bit of luck that we stumbled upon her. Yeah. You know, we chose her distillery because of the quality of the tequila that she was making. And she's actually the most award winning distillery in Mexico. Wow. But when we found out that it was, you know, when we, we went down there, we were hoping that she would, you know, partner with us. Um, but mm-hmm. we didn't know it a hundred percent. Uh, we still had to sort of convince her. And obviously we were doing something very different. We weren't making traditional tequila. This is an all natural, real fruit infused tequila. Nobody down sure. in Mexico was infusing. So it required infrastructure and things that we needed her to sort of execute on. And she absolutely came on this journey with us. And I think it's in no small part because it's, it's women coming together. She saw yeah. a lot of herself in us as she was getting started in the industry. You know, she's been like a mentor and a godmother to us really because she's given us advice, pointed out like 
landmines in the ground that we should step <laughs> over and, and, and things like this, like at every turn. She oversaw construction of the things we needed to put in place in order to be able to infuse at scale. So okay. um, we, we, we definitely benefited from a bit of luck. And I think that's a theme you'll find throughout our entire story. And I think with the success of any brand, certainly when I was in the movie industry, luck played mm -hmm. a big part in this. There's always a bit mm -hmm. of luck. And then it's sort of, what is your definition of luck? You know? Sure. So I'd love to rewind it back a little bit and we'll, we'll make sure to get into you know, the notion of your distillery partners and you know how the work happens at 21 Seeds. But I'd love to hear about how did you get started or how did you get interested in the notion of making an all natural infused tequila? How did that start? Yeah, that's a good question, Skipper. And I feel like I'm monopolizing the conversation, but that <laughs> happens a lot in a Greek household, especially when you're the eldest. <laughs> Fair. But really, truly, this was, this was my own personal experience. And I was a wine drinker. I very happily enjoyed white wine and rosé every night, a couple glasses for many, many years. And then mm -hmm. one day, I just started feeling crappy, not so hot. And uh, I went to my doctor and ran some tests, look at, and, and those turned out fine, looked at what I was eating and drinking. And mm -hmm. the minute I sort of said that I was finishing my night off with a glass, a couple glasses of wine, he's like, ah, that's the culprit. Really? He's like, I want you. That's okay. right. And this is a doctor and I won't give you his name. It's the, always the second question people ask me. It's like, what is your doctor's name? I want name? that prescription. <laughs> so, like, what is your doctor's name? But anyway, he recommended that I switch from fermented spirits Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, fermented spirits. I, I really honestly didn't really know what that term specifically meant. I mean, I sure. heard of kombucha, like defined fermented spirits. So anything like champagne, wine, beer, sake, so like nothing fermented anymore. Mm -hmm. And I want you to switch over to a distilled spirit. And okay. he recommended that I stick to a white distilled spirit, right? Like not okay. aged because when you age it, um, there are things called congeners that leach into the liquid, turn it brown, right? That goes okay. from white to brown. Yeah. They impart a lot of flavor, but they also impart some of the things that are trapped in the wood that are not so great for your head and can give you headaches. So if you're trying to drink cleaner and better yeah. for you, like sort of to the extent, listen, I'm not out here saying alcohol is good for you. Like, you know, everything in moderation. <laughs> yes. But if you're trying to drink cleaner, yeah. drink distilled, a white distilled spirit. Okay. And he recommended that I switch to Blanco tequila because it comes from an agave plant. So okay. in terms of, you know, any gluten issues, remnant gluten or any of that stuff, it's not in there. So agave is okay. gluten free. So okay. I did that. I was sort of hoping that, you know, I went home. I was hoping he was wrong. He was not wrong. The minute I stopped drinking the wine, within three days, I felt 100% better. And wow. now I was sort of left with this Blanco tequila. And it was, I was like, what am I going to do to this Blanco to make it not remind me of college, right? Like, sure. not, yeah. you know, make it smell fresh and delicious, like, you know, as and, and easy to drink as a glass of wine. And okay. I love to cook. And I just started infusing it. I threw a bunch of stuff into it and thought, let's just see what I can do to this. Uh, to just make it easier to drink and convenient. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to make a cocktail every night. I just wanted to pour, you know, something in a wine glass. And I started infusing it, completely changed the spirit in its entirety. And I, and I actually drank it just like that in a wine glass with a little club soda, slice of orange. And that, that became my new cocktail of the night. That's how I would finish my night. And okay. And I did that for years and years and years. In fact, eight years to be very specific, okay. where I just was making infused tequila. If you were at my house, you'd have it. If I went over to someone's house, I'd bring it so that I also okay. had something I could drink. And sure. uh, before you knew it, friends were asking for bottles. I was making bottles for friends. It was their birthday. They're like, can you just make me a bottle of your infused tequila? And, okay. you know, the kitchen was starting to look a little like a lab. And... Uh, <laughs> And at, and at the and same one side note, when you are infusing tequila, do not use a Brita, which is what Kat used to use to infuse her tequila because it looks like water. Mm. <laughs> and so when you go out for a run and you're really thirsty <laughs> and you pour yourself a whole glass of what you think is water, but is actually cucumber jalapeno infused uh, tequila straight. 
and you drink it because you're so goddamn thirsty thinking <laughs> that you just came back from a run and you think you're going to die because you just basically took 18 shots of tequila <laughs> after yes. your run. The PSA, do not infuse in a Brita. <laughs> for sure, yeah. okay. for sure. Home, um, home infusion tip yeah, number one. Not in a Brita. But, right. but you know, so over the course of the, the years that friends were trying it, I also was noticing a trend going on, right? There was this sort of yeah. wellness movement moving into, into play in all categories, not just in, you know, certainly not just in spirits, but more so like in beverages in general and food, like you were seeing this sort of wellness trend that was happening. And sure. a lot of my girlfriends in particular, I noticed were moving away from champagne and white wine in particular, like white wine, rosé and champagne. Mm-hmm. And they were moving from those items right on over to Blanco tequila. And they were, again, okay. either asking me for bottles or if we were out at a bar or restaurant, they would order a Blanco tequila with a bunch of limes on the side and some club yeah. soda. And that's what they were okay. making. And so I noticed that there was this whole trend of, especially with women and guys I knew who were like looking to drink away from beer, lower carb, less sugar, moving mm-hmm. over to tequila Again, for the wellness reasons, really just to drink lighter and cleaner and like a easy spritz. And there was nothing in the tequila aisle for them. There was nothing yeah. for this consumer in the aisle when we thought about, yeah. you know, creating this as a business. Okay. So, Nicole, when Kat, you know, you all are sisters, you know, you described going to the refrigerator and seeing the Brita, trying to grab a glass of water. So you're here throughout this process, Right. What, and and you described in your intro of how you all started as a company, like this is an idea that your sister has had that a light bulb went off for you as well. And you thought, yeah, this is something that I think has traction. What was it that spoke to you about this beginning? First, to Kat's point, uh, we both saw the trend, right? Because we were in the same social circles, all of our friends, like, they all called it Cat's Tequila. Hey, even mm. like when Cat wasn't there, hey, can you get your sister Cat's Tequila? You know, it was. It started being not a one-off. It started being almost like every party, if I didn't show up with Cat's Tequila, <laughs> I may be banned from the party's next invite, right? Okay. And so it just, it, it really started looking like a lab at our house, her infusing all these bottles of tequila because, you know, so many people were asking for it. And we, she has come up with many ideas. She's a very creative, out of the box thinker, like, why isn't this, this world exists? Let's do it. And I'm like, it's too hard. It makes no sense. There's not enough market share for it, (laughs) you know, or, you know, what's this, what's that? But actually when she said, you know what, why aren't we doing this? Like, does it exist? The very first thing I thought actually in my mind was, can it exist? Mm. tequila we all know has to be produced in Jalisco it has to be produced a certain way there's a certain governance around tequila for it to be even produced and called tequila right so my first thought was wow this totally makes sense but maybe you're just not allowed to do it Right. Mm. And so when we figured out you are allowed to do it, but it's quite hard because the infrastructure wasn't built in Mexico, we thought, you know what? We come from tech. We come from startup life. We come from the world of if you build it, they will come. And if you're smart about it, it could happen. So I thought it was an amazing idea once I realized that it can be done to just run with it because it, it, it checked off the boxes of. We know there's a market there. We know it's it's a real story of my sister discovering that she can't drink wine and, and beer, which really sucked for her because seeing her not drink at all wasn't fun either. Um, so, yeah. Oh, you know, I'll jump in there, Skipper, because, you know, aside from that, you know, Nicole had us run through some exercises, right? Uh, she'd been okay. involved in many startups. So the first thing we did was take a walk in the tequila aisle, right? Like take a field trip down to the tequila okay. aisle. Do some market research, what was, yeah. That's right. Like, let's see what's there, right? So, yeah. and what we found, and again, this was in 2018. So, okay. yeah, 2018. There were, first thing we saw was, there was so many new, there were so many new tequilas 
on okay. the market. Like all these new tequilas had come on the market. All of them were Blancos, Reposados, and Anejos, right? Okay. And they were all being marketed like scotches and whiskeys to men. I see. Truly. Okay. Like you, even the way that they would talk about them, like sipping tequilas and the mm. notes that they would describe are similar to the notes that you would hear being talked about uh, when you talk about a bourbon or scotch or a whiskey. Okay. And so that was the first thing we saw. The next thing was sort of the sea of sameness, like all of the bottles to the earlier point about the name. Every single one of them was some version of a Mexican Spanish name that was on the bottle. They were all, it was hard to decipher the one from the next. Sure. And finally, we tasted everything that was on the market that was flavored, you know, and I, okay. I say quote unquote flavored because, yeah. you know, there's a very, there's this sort of loose term of like infused with flavor yeah. and it's really just flavored. Yeah. So, but we tasted all of those products and we found that there was just, there was nothing in the aisle that was at the quality of what I was making in my kitchen and also really nothing in the aisle speaking to her, that female consumer yeah. who was choosing tequila. Actually, the demo was choosing tequila this millennial demo was choosing to kill three times over men hmm. and no product in the aisle speaking to her or this way of, of drinking tequila, which is sort of the, yeah. in the wine occasion, the relax and unwind, normally have a glass of wine or a beer, right? Yeah. So we thought, wow, there really is nothing like this here. And that's when we realized we were, you know, onto something and we'd saw, we'd yeah. seen a white space. I see. I think the due diligence you're describing that you all have done, that's really important and significant and has helped you all to get to where you are, especially because this started for a problem that you, Kat, had in not being able to drink fermented spirits and needing something more than just Blanco tequila. Mm -hmm. You all developed a persona, the, the she that you just described. And even something like figuring out the jobs to be done for your product, mm. many businesses I find have no idea of who their customer is or what their problem is, let alone the gap in the market or how something like their product, like 21 Seeds, is the bridge. But I don't want to lose sight of the distillery. That's something that I wanted to ask about and I wanted to get into more detail. Can you all talk more about Celia and how the tequila is made? The first thing that when, when we had the moment in the aisle where we're like, okay, there's a hole here. Now, how do you make yeah. tequila, right? Like, yeah. where, where, where do you start, <laughs> right? Like, where right. does one start when they're going to make a tequila? And to Nicole's point, tequila, um, there's a whole government. Actually, yeah. what were you, when you were doing this out of your kitchen, like, what were you? I was just buying a Blanco. Yeah, like I would. Just buying a Blanco and, okay. I was just buying a Blanco, you know, a nice Blanco off the shelf and infusing it, using that. And okay. when we decided to make this into a business, we realized, okay, how does one make tequila and where does, where is tequila made? And it has a designation sure. of origin, just like champagne and cognac. So oh, okay. To Nicole's point, it all comes from a region in Mexico called Jalisco. Okay. And in fact, our distillery is in the town of Tequila. And there is an actual town of oh. Tequila in that region. There are many distilleries <laughs> okay. outside of the town of Tequila, but ours happens to be in the town of Tequila, which is a very charming, amazing town. And then if you ever have the chance, go down there. It is, first of all, okay. the nicest people. Like everyone that works at our distillery, they are so proud of their work. They want to oh. get it right. Like there is such a work ethic. Uh, really, honestly, it, we were in awe. I mean, truly. Right. Um, I don't know that this product could have been made in the US, to be honest with you, because I see. you know there was a lot of trial and error and stumbling through stuff uh, when you're trying to do something new. So um, okay. they were there with us and their neighbors were there. I mean, it was, it was an incredible, incredible experience. Yeah, the so community is, to Kat's point, the community, even if they couldn't figure, like how they all come together to problem solve is quite impressive. Okay. Absolutely. So we make everything down at our distillery. One thing that is really cool about our Blanco base that we use is that she does an extra step to ensure that it's really smooth and that she does a thing called chill filtration, which normally you see in scotches. And whiskeys, but not okay. so much in tequilas because it makes it more expensive. But what it does is you drop the temperature down to negative 30 degrees. And at that temperature, any, they're called aldehydes. So any sort of headache causers, and there's a whole, there, it's okay. a whole category. You know, when you're distilling, you want the heart 
that's the good stuff and you don't want the, okay. the, the head and the tail. And that's why they, people always warn you like, don't drink moonshine because if the distiller doesn't know what they're doing, then you could go blind <laughs> and you really can go blind because you don't okay. want any of the, the head and the tail okay. to end up in what you're drinking because that is the stuff that makes you go blind. Okay. But so at this temperature, uh, these aldehydes that maybe slipped into the heart become solids and then those get filtered out. So when we went looking for a, a Blanco to infuse with, our infusion process is quite light touch. I think what we found with okay. most of the flavored spirits that we tasted on the market, regardless if it was in tequila or vodka or whiskey or rum, it didn't matter. They all tended to be very sweet and sort of very sugary, have this mm. sort of weird aftertaste, like they're sucking on a nickel and like kind of mm -hmm. smell like Jolly Ranchers. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> <laughs> Not a great taste. Not yeah, exactly <laughs> what I was going for. And I was not a fan of flavored spirits myself right. prior to, you know, it's a very different process when you're infusing and, and versus just a flavored spirit. Okay. So it's quite light touch. When you taste 21 seeds, I don't know if you've had the pleasure yet, but yeah. when you taste it, first of all, the first thing that you're, you're taken aback by is just the aroma of it. It smells fresh, like the things, mm. you know, we're infusing it with. There's Valencia orange, you pop that cork off, you get this bouquet of gorgeous oranges and you know, the cucumber jalapeno and the, you know, grapefruit hibiscus, it's, you get that nice smell. It smells fresh. And then when you taste yeah. it, it's so, it's subtle. It's not an overpowering taste because it's quite light touch. So that we wanted yeah. to make sure if we couldn't replicate what we were doing in my kitchen, I didn't want to do it, to be honest with you, because I didn't want to bring a product. She was a little bit of Steve Jobs like that. Like she's like, nope, nope, right. it's not perfect, nope. Right. And I was like, this, like we can't create your kitchen. Like you got to right. get over it. And she's like, nope, we're I'm not getting over it. Either it tastes like this, or we're not doing it. So well, and especially at scale, right? Like it's not exactly you know, to get the quality that you were getting out of your kitchen. And that took you a number of years to get yeah. those processes iterate upon it. That's right. Yeah. Because so to make it at scale in a whole different geography. Exactly. And Skipper, to your point. This is such a good point. I, t I iterated for eight years. I was tweaking and, yeah. you know, and so I knew the flavor that I wanted it to, the finished result. Like I knew what yeah. the gold standard was. And so th that's what we had to hit. And I will tell you the yeah. biggest compliment ever was, uh, we made the O list last year, last summer we made, last year, we made yeah, the yeah, I saw it on your website. And yeah. We were told, cause we were not in the room. We were not in the room where it happened. But we were told, <laughs> we were told that when Oprah tasted the cucumber jalapeno, you know, she is a huge tequila fan. Is she? Okay. She, that every, everybody knows. Yeah. Like she drinks, you go to her house, she talks about it. When she went on that tour, she talks about how she, everyone comes to her house, does a shot of tequila. Okay. And she's a big tequila fan. And she also infuses her own tequila. She's a, a te oh, she, interesting. she loves to infuse tequila. And so okay. when she tasted our cucumber jalapeno in a spicy margarita, our recipe, which okay. is on our website. Uh, 21seeds.com. Okay. You can find it there. Yeah. The exact recipe. Uh, when she tasted that, she could not believe that we hadn't just infused the tequila uh, like that week. Like fresh. She okay. thought it was totally fresh. She thought it was a fresh batch of actually, you know, like infused in a kitchen tequila. Okay. And that was a huge, huge moment for, for me personally, because if she goes through all that trouble of infusing herself, like clearly she's got a palate for it, you know, yeah. that's developed. And it, it was a big, big, exciting moment when I heard that. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was super cool. And that's why you need your third partner to be a Stanford engineer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which Sarka is. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And then, so we were able to do it. We found Celia, who was a great partner, and she, again, saw herself in us uh, when she was getting started in the tequila industry and uh, really supported us 100% and, and helped us bring this product to market. And then it, it was it was kind of a wild adventure from there, for sure. Like, we, okay. I don't think we, okay. we anticipated what was going to happen. Mm. Okay, so we've talked about the beginnings. We've talked a little bit about the distillery in the town of Tequila. 
So bring us up to speed. Like how how do things work in the business, right? You you mentioned before we started recording that there were some barriers that you discovered just in the industry. So maybe that's something we could start with. Yeah. Nicole, you want to take that one, sister, or you want me to jump in? Sure. Well, you said you wanted to start first, but that's fine. <laughs> so I'll, I'll start because it's like it's like Frogger trying to get in here. But <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm dominating this conversation. Um, because of what Kat said about moonshine, right? Um, back in the day when people would actually make things in their bathtub and put the head and tail in the heart, it started becoming very scary for people to just drink any kind of bootleg type of alcohol. And so this is an actual constitutional law, right? In the constitution. So the 18th amendment prohibited people. It was the 20th. Nope. The 18th, the 20, and then 21st. The, no, was it? Sorry, 21st Amendment. You're, you're still not and right. And then 21st. Right. Wasn't it the 21st Amendment yeah. and then 21? 21st Amendment overturned it. 21C. 18th Amendment. Oh. Okay. Nicole's going to Google it because I'm pretty sure it's the 20. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the 21st Amendment put us into prohibition, and the 21st, the 21C. Okay, so the 18th Amendment, like I was saying. So you stop talking. <laughs> She's not allowed. Uh, sisters sisters so the 18th amendment basically prohibited uh people from drinking because people were dying and getting sick right and then that wasn't helpful it actually did the opposite people were bootlegging more and buying more illegal um booze and that sort of thing and so the 21st Amendment, actually 21st C, like as in carrot, Mm. right, overturned prohibition, but created this rule called the Tide House Rules, which says, okay, you can distribute alcohol, but it has to be in three tiers. You have to have the person making it be in the first tier, the person distributing it being in the second tier, and the person selling it being in the third tier. Okay. And you can't play across tiers, oh, right? Okay. So the person making it shouldn't be selling it unless you have a beautiful place in Napa, in which case we'll <laughs> let you go because you're wine and nobody's going to fight over how wine's produced. <laughs> okay. Right? So in spirits, there's this three-tiered system. And we didn't know that. So we thought we have this product and we're going to go <laughs> straight to BevMo and we're going to sell this product and get it on the shelf. Sure. Right? And they're like, who's your distributor? And we're like, say what again? Oh. <laughs> what, what, what's that you have? And then they're like, who's your, you know, whatever. And so we had to, we had to set all of that up, right? We had to realize that we could not be direct to consumer, which okay. you can if you're a certain percentage of alcohol or less, or if you're wine. Okay. But as a spirit, especially a 35% spirit, like we are, um, you can't sell directly. So what we had done is uh, we got a distributor and we started selling and we specifically started selling in our own backyard in California because California is the biggest market for tequila consumption by a lot, Okay. right? 86% of all tequilas consumed in the United States. Isn't that that a crazy number? That's crazy. It's still very much a U.S. Of that percentage... Yep. Of that percentage, over 21.5% is consumed just in California. Wow. So you can imagine if you can't even win in your backyard. Yeah. So for us, if we couldn't win in our backyard, we thought we couldn't win. Sure. So let's try it in California. And okay. I'll let you jump in. Cal. Yeah. So that is true. So, you know, the tequila industry, just all spirits are governed by this three tier system. And yeah. Within that system, there's sort of a way that you come to market traditionally, right? There's 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 the just the path of distribution, right? And okay. I think the important piece to remember here is so, to something you said, Skipper, like a, a while ago when we started this conversation, which was oftentimes people start a company and yet they don't necessarily know, know who their consumer is. We a hundred percent knew who our consumer was. You know, like yeah. we like to say, you know, for her, by her and the men who support her. That's who, you yeah. know, we're going after. And because yeah. of that, everything we did, everything we thought about was really around trying to solve her pain points in all aspects. And yeah. and also about yeah. how do we reach her? You know, that's how we came at yeah. it with 
we, because we come from, you know, tech, Nicole, squarely in tech, but, you know, I'm up here in the Bay Area and surrounded by tech. It's not about making that consumer have to come find you on your website, right? It's like, how mm -hmm. do we go where she is and let her know about this product? Mm -hmm. And so that was how we approached distribution, right? In terms of how we thought about it. And when we got to the industry that A is a very male dominated industry, but also set in its ways because it is protected mm -hmm. by this structure, you don't have to, you know, you don't, you don't have to alter the distribution, but you, it is what it is, right? right so right. they're very much set in their ways in terms of how you bring traditional spirits to market. Well, that's the first place to start is you think traditionally spirits are for men. Yeah. They're not really marketed to women. You know, yeah. uh, traditionally in the spirits industry, they think about uh, the female consumer. They sort of think about a diet drink or a wine or something that's lighter or sweeter. A skinny um, drink more recently. Exactly. Yeah, been, exactly. Yeah. Um, so traditionally, spirits have not been marketed to women. So they haven't spent an awful lot of time thinking about, you know, how women discover brands. Sure. Um, so when we came to the the industry... There's, you know, two parts of that distribution. And the first part is discovering the brand. Like, where do yeah. you go to discover the brand and make people aware of the spirit? And traditionally, that happens in the on-premise, which is the bars and the restaurants. Okay. And then the volume of sales come in the off-premise, which is the, the the places you can buy it, right? The, the liquor stores, the BevMo's, the Targets, you know, okay. depending on the state you're in. Right. So the retailers, right? So when we looked at that, model, we thought to ourselves, huh, well, our consumer we're going for is, is, is we're going after her and yeah. she doesn't discover brands in a bar or restaurant, right? Sure. Like she, and this is in 2018. So in 2018, right. how are women discovering brands? They're discovering brands in two ways, really. One is in this outer premise, I like to call it. So there's the on-premise, the off-premise, and what I like to talk about as the outer premise. Okay. which is this digital landscape, right? Hmm. Whether it's online media, which is Nicole's background, Refinery29, Pop Sugar, Well and mm -hmm. Good, Pure Wow, Bustle, like places you go to read about products, to read about cocktail recipes, to read sure. about places to eat, drink, what to yeah. wear, skin product. All of that is being done in this digital landscape, right? Yeah. And so you're either learning about brands there or through friend recommendations, right? So whether that's Facebook and Instagram, Pinterest, like that's where women go to discover brands. So we thought that's where we're going to go. We're sure. going to go there to tell her about 21 Seeds. And then she'll know that's the awareness piece. She will go over to the off-premise retailer and buy it. And yeah. that was that was the plan that we came to market with. And it worked because, and, and they all kind of thought we were nuts. Like, you know, <laughs> that's not how it's typically done. You know, this is the distribution. They're like, you can't start in chain. You can't start in such a big, if you don't, if you don't move, you'll get mm. pulled. That's not the way to do it. You have to spend all your money on on-premise. Sure. You have to do all this stuff. And the more they told us we had to do something, the more we wanted to do it the way we wanted sure. to do it. Well, we, right? also, we also, you know, we were, we didn't need to go into a, like a focus group or a lab or, you know, we could just, we, we are her, like right. we know where we go to discover brands and it's not happening, right. you know, in a bar or a restaurant for us. Right. And, um, so, so that was a big part of it. And again, this is where luck comes into play a little bit, right? Because of course this, we launched this brand in the spring of 2019, we came to market and yeah. we came with that game plan in place. And we could never have predicted that by the end of that year and the beginning of 2020, we were going to land in the middle of a pandemic that forced everyone, including this traditional, very traditionally done industry, to move yeah. online. They had to right. do it out of necessity. Right. And so here we were from the get-go, you know, communicating with our customer online and really driving awareness online. And now everyone else was scrambling to get there. And yeah. so we did, again, we got a little lucky in that regard because we were already there when everyone else was, you know, sort of like, oh no, what do we do now? We got to figure out another way to communicate with this consumer because we can't taste them in, in, in you know, they can't try the product, you know, in, That's a, right. in other places yeah. in the on-premise. And no one being able to go out to bars. Exactly. Or, and, and I think you, you point something out, Nicole, around how the model that has been the path by which other 
spirits have come to market mm -hmm. that also feels like a broken model to me generally because you know you look down the aisle and quite honestly you don't see a lot of variation right they're ripoffs of something else or but there doesn't seem to be to use a, a tech buzzword but i think it's appropriate here but you don't see much innovation you don't see much that's different i think you all were right to say yeah okay so if this isn't the path that we go then we're going to blaze our own path that's absolutely right that's right and what was scary about that is we decided to go to one of the biggest retailers in California mm. <laughs> as our first customer. Mm. So we're like, if we're going to go for it, we're going to go for it. Because if they say no to us and they can't see the vision that we're, then they're just going to be the echo chamber of everybody else that's going to say the same sure. thing, right? So we're just going to try and make sure that we can get there. So here we are. We don't have our product finished. Yeah. We have what it tastes like and we have what a sample bottle is going to eventually look okay. like. Our label's not even made, right? It's <laughs> kind of like a, a homeschool project, right? We're taping things yeah, like together, a proof of concept, yeah. you know, prototype. Yeah, prototype. And we walk into BevMo, which has 146 liquor stores in California. Okay. And we say, Hey, we're three girls. We think this is the way women want to drink. And by the way, this is basically the Kettle One Botanicals in the tequila aisle, oh. right? And try it and see what you think. And yeah. they're like, we love it. Now, listen, you guys are small, new. It's unlikely that you're going to get all three of your um, infusions on our shelf, but we might try one or two and we might try it on a sample set of our stores. And we're like, fine right? Okay. It'll get us started. So we're like, great. So we're like, okay, off we go to uh, Mexico to do our first run, okay. right? And we're doing our first run. So when is get, this? Give me a time. Like you, you went to BevMo in spring of 2019 or before uh, or after? Well, we, we met, we, it was, it was March of 2018. Okay. March of 2018. Okay. Okay. And we go, Sorry, it was February of 2019. Yes, February of 2019, okay. that's right. It was February okay. of 2019. We go to Jalisco. We okay. go to our distillery, and it's our first day there, right? Okay. And we have not fully scaled out the infusion process. We have done it now in a smaller scale to prototype it to give to BevMo, right, of sure. what they tasted. So don't, sure. we don't know if it will fully work at this point yet. Sure. And we order, you know, a small run, right, 400 cases Okay. run. And we get the and 400 PO. cases is, there are there 12 bottles in each case? Six, six bottles in six. each case for us. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so we get there first day, right? We're all excited that we're going to make this product that we know is going to be amazing. And we get... Bevmo's PO. And here we are, we're expecting maybe 40 stores, one or two SKUs. And, okay. and we're going to be excited about that, right? Because sure. it's our big first order. Yeah, we open it up. And it's all 146 stores, all three SKUs. Wow. Right. And now we don't have any more cases. <laughs> they bought the whole first run. <laughs> they right. bought the whole first run. Right. So we we literally huddled me, Sarka, and Kat, and jumped up and down like a cheerleader jump <laughs> for about two minutes until the onset of fear just kind of You're came like, over oh us. God. And then we're like, oh, we gotta no, get these cases. We yeah. got to make this happen. <laughs> yeah. And that was our first order. And since, you know, we have done exactly what Kat has said, we have gone where she is. And that was really an important accountant for us because it gave us distribution all over California. And since yeah. then, we've gone to, you know, Whole Foods and Walmart and Total Wine and Target and all of these other ones um, where she shops. But it was yeah. so important for us for them to believe that this product would work so that others would believe it, but also that we could produce it <laughs> in time yeah. that it could get on the shelf, which is yeah. pretty great. So what's something about the work that you do in making the 21 Seeds product? Like, what are some assumptions that people have about the work that you do? That's 
a good question. You know, um, people think there's a lot of glory in in any kind of business, right? right? You're like, oh, you're a cool tequila founder. Right. Like that's so much fun. And there's a lot. We actually have multiple consumers, right. right? Our consumer, because it's a three-tiered system, is we have to make our distributors believe in our product because they're the ones that are selling our product. We have to make the retailers believe that our product is sellable. Yeah. And then we also have to communicate to our ultimate consumer yeah. who's buying it, yeah. right? So spirits seems like this cool, fun, which it is, by the way. I'm not by any means. <laughs> sure. Like when they say, what do you do for a living? And I say, I own a tequila company. Let me just tell you, it's much cooler than saying I'm a finance person. Let me tell sure. you, like no callback. It's crickets on right. the other side of that one. Right. But it is really complicated yeah. to be in spirits. And a lot of people, and that's why you see thousands of new spirits hitting the market every year, is they think it's a lot easier than it is because, hey, I'm going to make something cool. I'm going to put it in the marketplace. And they don't realize how complicated this industry actually is. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good point. The fact that we actually have three consumers. We have three customers, really, truly. And they all behave very differently. You know, and they're quite different, right? Our first immediate yeah. customer is our distributor, and that is predominantly male, right? So mm -hmm. couldn't be more opposite than the messaging that we're putting out to our consumer, our ultimate consumer, which is our girl out there, right? Like yeah. that couldn't be more different. And then the intermediary, and if you've ever played a game of telephone, you can see where that <laughs> message along the way yeah. can completely get turned upside down. So yeah. You know, it's an awful lot of babysitting in a way, like making sure yeah. that everything is getting getting done all along that chain of distribution from the point that it leaves the distillery to the point that, that it ends up on her bar card at home in a beautiful yeah. cocktail. And we're very lucky because our distributor partner is such a partner That's to great. us. So we've and we've gone through the cycle of different distributors and different everything, you know, all the different learnings that you have as a growing company. And it's so key to have a distributor partner, your first customer, to really believe in what you're doing because they're the ones that are actually going to the retailer yeah. and telling your story, yeah. right? Not you. So and it enlisted not not even just a cooperative business partner, but someone who's a partner with you in selling this together, right? They they have a stake as a distributor, but really it's about the collaborative and cooperative effort that it takes to get this ultimately in the hands of a consumer. That's right. That's right. Because like we said, it's a three-tiered system. Yeah. So if you don't have a distributor that doesn't believe in you, then you're dead in the water. Yeah. Right. Because you can't sell directly to the retailer. Right. So that's it. Game over. Yeah. So it's really important to have someone that's that's passionate just as much as you are about what you're trying to accomplish and believes in that mission statement because of the fact that we can't go, you know, directly to the retailer. Right. Back the to that bar. game of telephone. If that message yeah. is getting, you know, <laughs> messed up along the way, then it's it's no good. <laughs> no bueno. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our scheduled time, but I want to make sure that there's something that if there's something that we should talk about that we haven't talked about yet, I want to leave some time and space for that for you, for you both. Uh, you know, I, I'd love to touch on the other piece of this, which is industries not losing, never losing touch with, you know, what the customer wants, what the customer actually mm. wants. And I think that's when big companies mm. that sort of rest on their laurels, especially protected by a certain a distribution model that's really pretty unpenetrable in many regards, sometimes they, they stop listening to the customer. And I think that's really important because, again, I think it's played a big part in why we have succeeded as quickly as we have succeeded. I think that we came in. Okay. So if that's, unless there's something, Nicole, you want to talk about, like there's, was there something you wanted to touch on? Cause I really want to talk about like how cocktails are being made. I was just going to talk about another piece was just like the mental mind frame of a founder and how mm. to, and do that piece. But you go first, Kat. So one of the things that I noticed again, like going back to what we talked about, Skipper, I'm constantly observing. I'm an observer, right? I mm -hmm. love to Mm -hmm. pay attention to what in in many ways because I used to work in the film industry and at one point I worked in a management company 
Okay. I find comedians are the same way. They don't mm. talk as much. They are, they're always in their head, like kind of observing things. And then you, that ends up in some skit down the road. Sure. <laughs> but anyway, one of the things that the other things that I noticed about the spirits industry as a whole, as a consumer, right, was I'd noticed that, you know, the palate had shifted. And this is like now mm. in the bars and the restaurants, right? Mm -hmm. Like the palate had shifted everywhere else. Uh, you know, this wellness trend was was going on and things had gotten yeah. less sweet, you know, mm -hmm. less caloric, no sacrifice on taste. But there was this emergence of like Spindrift and LaCroix and Fever Tree and, you know, all of these things that were lighter. And, sure. you know, you saw it in, in iced teas and waters and in all aspects. And yet I wasn't seeing that same shift happening in bars and restaurants. With the cocktails sure. they were making, they were still very yeah. heavy and caloric. And even before we went into COVID, right, there were articles starting to be written about how this younger millennial doesn't drink as much, like they aren't yeah. drinking as much. And I think the reaction of the industry was to create booze that didn't have booze in it anymore, like a sure. non-alcoholic booze. And my thing was, I was actually there sort of listening to what the consumer was saying. And I was hearing an awful lot, can you make that less sweet? I cannot sure. tell you how many times I would be, you know, going to order a drink and I would hear the person next to me say, oh, can you put that on the side or can you make that right. less sweet? Can you take the sugar out of it? And so yeah. I was thinking, why are they continuing? Why are they not taking that feedback? You know? Yeah. And I think that that was a big piece of it for me because I thought if we bring this product to market then, you know, in the bars and restaurants, this will allow them to very easily make, could make a 21 seed and soda right? Yeah. It's just infused tequila, club soda. It's basically, you know, what they're drinking in record numbers in the off-premise, right. right? The right. only category outpacing tequila is the RTD category, which is that spike seltzer category. And what is that? It's a hundred calorie flavored seltzer, right? With a little yeah. bit of alcohol in it, right? Yeah. So it's like they want, they were drinking that in record numbers and yet they weren't ordering as many cocktails in a bar. So my mind would go not to necessarily take the booze out of the alcohol as the first step. Sure. Why don't we just make those drinks lighter, you right. know, and then let's do that experiment first and see if that doesn't move the needle. And then we can move to non-alcohol, you know, as a category. Sure. So I, that was something that, you know, as the other piece of this, you know, and especially now as we're moving, you know, as the on-premise is coming back and we're moving back into that space, that's something that I'm really excited I love to do science experiments. I loved science. I studied science, even though I didn't end up using my major in real <laughs> life. <laughs> um, but I, I'm excited to see that experiment now take place yeah. in the on-premise. And really, the focus of 21 Seeds in bars and restaurants is really to make it that simple and see if that doesn't bring those drinkers back into those bars and restaurants, yeah. as opposed to having them just buy these ready-to-drinks at home. And I think we're going to see that it, that it might. And again, that just goes back to observing and figuring out where are the, you know, the pockets of opportunity. And yeah. I think that's a big base for us now that we're in the off premise and we're reaching our female consumer where she shops. Yeah. I now want to address the on premise and really give the customers what they want, which yeah. is a lighter spritz, basically. Yeah. And to your point, I think there's a really, there, there's a, there's a distinction between an infused product and especially an infused product like Ural's and a flavored product, right? Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. maybe along the way we've tasted something that has been a flavored something or other. And quite honestly, and maybe this is just my own bias and my own palate shining through, but I think for the most part, they taste disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like I would, I would rather just have, so do right, we. Right. I'm with you. I'm with you. So I'm I'd rather you. have something. That's why it kills us when people say flavored. Cause we're like, we're not flavored. Right. We're infused. Right. We have a very, very interesting, difficult process to do mm -hmm. that. So don't put us in that category. Right. So Nicole, is there something that you want to cover that we haven't got, sort of gotten into yet in our conversation? Yeah. I just wanted to take a moment to say, you know, that already being a, trying to be a founder, right? It's not for the faintest of hearts. <laughs> you have to, this isn't like a little side hustle that you hope kind of will happen one day or whatever. You might start off of it as a side hustle, but in the sense that, you know, you're asking, you, you raise capital, your people are trusting you, you are in and out 
day by day building something that you feel very passionate about in an industry that has less than 10% females in it. Mm. Right. Um, And so you are already trying to convince them of why you think this product is important for a consumer that has essentially been ignored (laughs) um, for the most part. And ironically, they don't say, you know, if there's two guys on a bottle or whatever, being super masculine, and they they don't say to anyone, hey, why are you showing this product to such a, like the consumer is a guy, right? right? Um, Right. When we have a like more fun and light uh, label, they say, why is it so feminine? Right. It's like the, that double standard is, is quite interesting. But what I would say is one, as founders, what I found was really empowering and impactful is female founders actually stick together. Mm. Even if they're in your industry or outside of your industry, there has been so much support with each female founder that I have been really impressed with everyone kind of coming together, either from a mentorship perspective, a helpful perspective with no skin in the game, right? They're just trying to be helpful, which I thought was really amazing. And then, and a lot of men have been very helpful and supportive of our growth. We actually call our husbands interns (laughs) of 21 Seeds because they've all been forced to help us in their own right. So I would just say that if you really are passionate and you believe in something that you should definitely go for it. If you if you think you can give 100%. And as female founders in a, in a place where it's very, a small percentage, you got to be able to fight the yeah. fight. You got to be strong enough to fight the fight because it's not going to just be handed to you. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our time together. And I want to finish up with a few of the closing questions that I ask of all the guests. So Nicole and Kat, What's one of the most important lessons that you've learned so far in your life and or in your work? And they can reflect back to 21 Seeds or they can be for other things. Uh, It's important to get help at the right time. Always. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Uh, I know that in 21 Seeds, there was a moment where it went from being a project to being a company. It went from, you know, Nicole and Sarka and I not being able to keep up with the volume of tasks at hand every day. And you realize like you can't do it all anymore by yourself and you have to hire and you kind of like right. have to let go and trust that someone may not do it as well as you at 100%, but they're going to do it 80% and that's got to be enough. And right. that moment, is it was a lesson that I had to learn. And my husband gave me a great analogy for it that, that helped me learn it, uh, <laughs> which was sort what of... What was the analogy? Well, it, was really, it, it really worked for me because we have two kids. And he said, look, we brought these two kids into the world, but we right. have certainly, and now they're 10 and 13, we have not made them okay. the human beings that they are, like ourselves. Right. Yes, we brought them into right. the world ourselves. But then at that point, we had grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and friends and teachers and so many people that came into their lives and influenced them and sculpted them and really helped them become who they are. And so think of it yeah. like that, like mm. you didn't want to hand that baby off to someone, but you did. And guess what? <laughs> Look, it all worked out. So. Right. Just think of right. it like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that, that was a great analogy for me. Yeah, it's a trust exercise. Mm-hmm. Nicole, what about for you? What I believe throughout the whole life cycle of my career is you can either be the person that pulls the ladder out from someone or puts the ladder up to help someone grow, oh, right? You can either build it or you can bury it, yeah. right? And I've always been a builder with people and with companies. That's why I've always been obsessed with startups. And I don't believe in if I win, you don't. And and none of us do it on our team. That's not, you know, we have a no asshole policy. We don't want (laughs) to act like one and we don't want to hire any of them. And so I think it's really important that the people that we've brought on and the people we choose to work with and their advisors they're all builders, yeah. right? They're all in the benefit of making something bigger and better and helpful versus like, let's take this thing down because that would give us an advantage. We don't work that way. Okay. Those are both great lessons. What are two things that you both are excited about right now? And by that, I mean something either that you're reading that you can't put down, or maybe it's something you're watching or listening to. 
you want to start, Nicole? Well, outside of Bridgerton, which <laughs> was the hottest thing I've ever seen. I mean, talk about thank you, Netflix. Yeah. But outside of that, and this is going to sound so silly of a thing, and, and I don't mean to bring it back to 21 Seeds, but I think the coolest thing is like seeing people for the first time try 21 Seeds. Mm. That is like my most favorite little side kick thing. I don't know what you would call it. You get a lot of joy off over. of it. Yeah. I get a lot of joy off of watching someone try 21 seeds for the first time because I don't want them to try it to impress me. Yeah. I want to have them try it because I want them to believe in what I say. Yeah. Um, and that's what's super exciting for me. I think that should be a hashtag. That should be a hashtag that when people try it for the first time, you know, like do a little video, whether it's on TikTok or Instagram or something, that would be my first time. We we do have one called um, a note shot face, actually, (laughs) which is kind of funny because every time someone would take a shot, you embrace yourself of how you steal yourself. You're like, oh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be terrible. You're like, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to do it. And then everyone's like, oh, they don't make the face. And so we're like, yeah, it's the note shot face shot so totally yeah i think for me that one thing i'm super excited about actually is for the on-premise to open up again you know which is the bars and the restaurants because we had this hypothesis right about how the the off-premise would behave and how we could reach our female consumer you know in this outer premise and we succeeded in doing that right and and it's we've proven that out i love to to prove things to have a hypothesis and like prove it Mm. one way or the other and so right now I'm so excited to see if this theory that I have, right, which is that, you know, which is based in everything that I'm reading and seeing before COVID about like that this consumer would actually drink more if we just made drinks for them that they actually really wanted, which were lighter sure. and, and just more like a spritz, if that would really work. Yeah. So I'm dying to have that happen. And, uh, you know, I hope everyone gets their vaccine so we can be out there and out in the world again and. <laughs> Bars can open up at 100% and, and, and restaurants as well. And then other than that, I just, I love, like right now, I'm a new entrepreneur in this regard. Like I've never uh, been the CEO of a company. I've always independently produced or I worked at, you know, companies in entertainment in my prior life. Sure. I love being, you know, a student of information and a new space in mm. an industry. And I love learning about how to make tequila. And I loved learning about, you know, how you sell tequila and really getting to know the industry before we figured out how we could disrupt the industry, you know? So I'm constantly listening to podcasts and I I actually, Mm. I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time and I'll deep dive into, you know, if I hear something that's interesting, I'll go see what that person has written and dive into that. And I love going down the rabbit hole of information in that way. Um, So that's where I'm at right now. Do you have a favorite podcast that you're I that you're mean, sort of like I of course, deep diving on? I have of course of course <laughs> I love Second Life and I love how I built this. I just I love yeah. hearing the stories of companies right now. I love hearing about yeah. the mistakes that founders made and how I can learn from them. I'm such a student of all that. I'm a student of being an entrepreneur right now for sure. Okay. I get full on anxiety watching Shark Tank because of the, the deal <laughs> right. structure that they do. I literally go, don't like, don't do that. Don't deal. take that deal. That's a terrible valuation. <laughs> don't do it. I like, I can't watch it anymore. My husband's like, unless you have a cocktail in the pool, it's not fun watching Shark Tank with you because right. <laughs> you'll you'll start like. That's funny. So, where can people find out more about Twenty One Seeds and then you all? Like, we've mentioned the website, and we'll link that in the show notes. But where else can they find out more about you? Yeah, I mean, definitely a great place to start is the website because we have cocktail recipes there. I do all of our cocktail recipes. I like to keep everything as light as possible. Okay. We also have just all of our presses there, so you can all in one place. If you want to do a deep dive into Twenty One Seeds, you can do it right there on the yeah. website. Um, but then, you know, you can also find us at, I mean, you can also buy 21 Seeds and taste it at many, many retail yeah. locations now, um, you know, across the whole country. So, uh, okay. and if for some reason... You just have to put in your zip code and it will take you to the, your closest location. Okay. 
And that's on the 21 Seeds website. There's a little bit of a, a, a locator for where you can find 21 Seeds near you. Exactly. Like here in the Bay Area, in California, Safeway is a, is, is a great partner of ours. And, yeah. uh, and But we're at Total Wine and Molly Mar, Stones. Molly Stones, Whole Foods. Okay. You can find us. Target. Target. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. But the website is the best place to start. And then, of course, we're always updating stuff on Instagram and on Facebook. And yeah. we've, we're putting recipes up on Pinterest as well. So those are all places you can look for us. Okay. And we love hearing from our consumers. Uh, if they want to email us at hello at 21seeds.com. Uh, we love hearing from them. We love hearing their stories. We love, they, a lot of people send us um, cocktail DMs and cocktails and, uh, and they show us how they don't have a shot face, yeah. you know, because they took a shot and they were fine. And, yeah. and, um, our hashtag is girls call the shots. So a lot of times girls are taking a shot, showing us that they're, that they are in fact calling the shots. So it's nice. cool. Nice. That's great. Well, thank you, Kat and Nicole. I really appreciate you both making time and space. I know we've run a little bit over, but I appreciate you making time and space for our conversation today. Thanks, Skipper. It was a pleasure to be here with you. you. Thanks, Skipper. And thank you for listening to How This Works. This episode was edited and mastered by Troy Lococo. Please follow or subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. This is the first season of our show, and it would mean so much if you could tell one other person about the show and why they should listen to it. You can find How This Works online at howthisworks.show. That's three words, no dashes. Again, that's howthisworks.show. We're also active in the places where social media happens. I hope that you learned something from my conversation with Kat and Nicole. For sure I do. We'll talk again soon. Today, I have Kat Huntas and Nicole Emanuel with me. By the way, is that the right way to pronounce your all's names? Yeah. Kat it ha- is. Yeah. Good. You can Great. say Kat Huntas. It's like polka. Huntas. Okay. Cat <laughs> Huntas. Okay, cool. That's a good, that's a good mnemonic. All right. Let me try Let me try that, that line one more time. Okay. Today, I have Kat Huntas with me. I, today, I have Kat Huntas and Nicole Emanuel with me. Today, I have Kat Huntas and Nicole Emanuel with me. It's funny, I'm not landing that ha, emphasis. Ha. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like I'm haunting you. Skipper, we're haunting you. <laughs> Haunt That's us. better than Pocahontas. <laughs> got it. Today I have Cat Huntus. Cat Huntus with me. There you Hauntus. go. It's like, and by the way, I think, I, I think this yeah. is important. This is important to get people's names right.